1: Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic, uh, Thursday, January the 6th, 2022. Happy
0: New Year, Scott. Happy New Year, Rob. It's, uh, it's been an eventful six or so days since, the, since 2022, and uh, it's been a cold few days, at least for me, since I've been back <laughs> sunny Orlando. Yeah, that had to be a shock. That has to be a shock to the system for everybody who was down there to come back to
1: this. Um, yeah, it's kind of the way those things work out. And uh, we could talk about when we talk about the game. But uh, yeah, it seemed like it was even unusually warm for Orlando at this time of year.
0: Yeah, I mean, the air temperature was like 85 or so that day, and it was towards the end of the week. And then, but um, you know, on the field, because it's a turf field, you know, even in warm-ups, you could see that it was like hundred and ten. Now, I I would say what because I was standing on the field for a while before everything happened and I'm like, eh, it doesn't feel like that. But it's mostly about the the turf itself was that hot. And uh and so yeah, it was a warm day. I was really surprised there weren't more people dropping um for cramps and what have you. But uh overall it was uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, once once I got back, luckily for me. I got acclimated a little bit because I flew into St. Louis and then drove up. So I kind of didn't get the hundred, <laughs> uh hundred degree difference. I got more of the 80 degree <laughs> or 65 degree <laughs> difference. And so I can kind of work through that.
1: Yeah. It's uh, hopefully we get a little relief here. I haven't looked at the weather, um, but hopefully uh, it uh, lets up a little bit here. Iowa is the, uh, one of those states that gets the extreme heat and cold throughout the year so not it's not anything we're uh unaccustomed to so
0: we deal right yeah um we deal we just all right we got to go out and scoop the sidewalk it sucks and if you got a son who can do it eat more the better but uh, (laughs) (laughs) otherwise out we go
1: yeah, and uh, I think this we can segue into uh, what we were talking about right before we started recording. Maybe we should have hit record while we were talking about it, but uh, weather is one of those ex- reasons. I won't say excuse because I think that offends people sometimes, but yeah. you and I have been doing this long enough where we have heard every reason you could think of why people don't go to Carver Hawkeye Arena Um For basketball. Um, And it was the case Monday night. Uh, The Big Ten, we'll call it the reopener, I guess, against Maryland because they've already played two games. Um, Hadn't played in a while. Hadn't played since, what, the Western Illinois game. So um, it wasn't like there there had had been a lot of action. And, again, we could come up with more reasons. It could have been, you know, people – I think Iowa hurt itself with its non-conference schedule. I think if you maybe schedule some intriguing matchups early in the season and get people back in the arena after they've been away for the COVID year, you give them excitement right out of the gate, maybe that snowballs and they keep coming back. Could be another reason that maybe is a little different than, you know, it's a it's a late start, uh, it's a school night, the weather sucks, driving for all those other reasons that we've talked about. But I think uh, whatever the reason is, Iowa finds itself in a position where it's got to do something, Scott, to get people back in the arena. Um, Indiana's what a week from today is the next home game. Um, if they, if that game, you know, shows or the, the arena ends up being, you know. Half full. I don't know. The students aren't back yet by that point either. So there's a good chance that uh, and the students haven't really come out in full force anyway. So I think it's something that Iowa needs to address. And that's nothing new. I mean, we've been talking about this for decades.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I remember the first year when it really when it really the confluence of so many different things really sent it over the edge and it really hurt. And that was Licklider's first year. And it wasn't so much Todd or anything he did at that point, but you had, um, he didn't help. No, he didn't help. Of course not (laughs) later on or anything, But, but I think you had, um, you know, BTN it was, it was his first year and MediaCom didn't carry any of the games. They weren't that good because they lost a lot of players and, and so there, there was a lot of out of sight, out of mind. I mean, people grew up watching Iowa basketball games that weren't on national networks on, you know, local affiliates, uh, depending on, you know, what part of the state you were in. So you became intimately aware of these players and you watched them at home and then you went and watched them when, when they're in person. And, and in this case, nobody saw them. They weren't very good. They weren't very exciting. And the weather was really unseasonably cold and, and rough that year. So it was out of sight, out of mind. And they've been digging out of that hole ever since. And at times, they've, they've been really good. But I think in some ways, the lack of achieving full expectations to a year or getting something, you know, a conclusion that everybody would consider memorable has kind of hurt them, that some people are like, all right, I, I'm just kind of done with this program. I root for them, but I'm not going to these games and and uh, watch them, you know, win, get my hopes up, and then, you know, let us down in the postseason. But then, as you said, a year off without COVID, coupled with a, a non-conference schedule that I panned from day one, I thought it was ridiculous, that you want to have something exciting for your fans when they first come in. And you know, whether you lose or you win, it really doesn't matter. You just want to have some sort of introduction to your team in this season because you've been away for a while. Make it really exciting. And instead, I mean, the average net from last year of those home opponents in non-conference play was 307. That's nothing. That's zero. That's less than nothing. And people aren't going to be interested in it. They're just going to say, well, we'll forget it. And even though they have an exciting team one of the best players in the country that's as exciting as any player fans ever had. And I think in Keegan Murray, um, fans aren't just – they're not as invested emotionally as maybe they would have been in the past or, you know, will be at a different point this year. Coupled with, as you said, you know, there are a lot of other factors – that keep people from going, eh, I don't feel like going. I mean, number one is weather. I mean, let's face it, when it's low zero and you've got to walk for blocks to go to a basketball arena, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, the, the time, you know, the time is a great excuse, but it's also a reason because if they're a customer, they're right. And that is, hey, man, 8 o'clock, I'm not going to get out of the arena until after 10, might not even get on the road out of Iowa City until almost 11, and if I live in Des Moines, that's one in the morning. I got to work the next day. And you could say, well, you can take the day off. Well, you can't do that, and especially because you're coming off a holiday weekend. You're coming off a couple, you know, a lot of people take that whole week off. And they, after eight, nine, ten days, it's like, man, I got to turn the page. I got to get back into work mode and, and doing some other things. So all of that was kind of hit, I think, on on Monday night where, and you're only two days removed from a, a big postseason trip to, to Orlando and there were a lot of people there from Iowa and uh, you know I, it, the list of attendance was a little over 10,000 but my guess is it's probably at best two-thirds of that I mean was it half full or even less than half full?
1: I'm awful at the guessing attendance game um, I will say like I said to you before we started recording the north and south and the south is where the students are And there weren't any. There were. I shouldn't say any. There were very few students there. It's break. I get that. The north, very few people, and then there were holes on each side. So I don't know. Maybe seven, eight, somewhere in there. Maybe it's hard. I'm not good at that though. It 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 was noticeably light. I will say, you walk in there and you're like, wow, this is not a good craft. That's kind of how I would frame it.
0: And, uh, you know, the, the real question is, what can Iowa do about it? And I think there's a lot. You know, I, I don't think – I think at times that, that the – whether it's the history of it or it's just the arrogance of it is, let's put up a sign that says, hey, game here tonight. <laughs> and that's it. I mean, do they do much advertising on TV, on radio, on different platforms to say – hey, come out tonight and have a game. No, they, they rely on their in-house media and they rely on local media to spread the word about what games are. And um, And if it's just a game, it's just a game. Um, people can, in. let's face it, when it's cold outside and I don't feel like getting out and going to do that, you can just watch it on TV too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think you got to bring excitement to the arena. And I think you've got to bring – um, I think you got to reimagine the arena itself. I'm not saying build a new one. That's that's really excessive in cost. And, and after last year, I don't think they have any kind of disposable income. Also but I do think
1: the renovations they're making for re- wrestling. I don't think they have yeah. any any plans on a new arena. It's what you're going to say. It's make the arena more uh, fan friendly.
0: Yeah, I mean things like. Um, you know, the, the smallest things are like restrooms or session stands, access to it. I mean, that is a long haul up those steps. And I know there are people who say, get your lazy butts up the stairs, you know, quit crying about it. Well, you know what? If I don't feel like walking 80 steps from the, you know, because basically the people who have the best seats are the penalized the most. And it's like, man, you know, and and it's not just coming into the arena and going home. It's I got to go to the bathroom. I want to go get an ice cream cone. I want to go get pop or or whatever. So in some ways, it should be more about finding a way to to renovate the inside of it to where there's I don't know if you can do it at concourse level or you you know have an area where there's restrooms. Under the, under the stands or something like that, or you have ushers walking around the arena with different types of beverages and, and food to sell, having better food at the top, it giving people a reason to be there. I mean, cause I mean, I think, you know, Carver when it's lit is good. It's, it's pretty good, but getting it lit. Sometimes the pilot light's not there. Sometimes it's out. You got to figure out how to light it and, if they lose say tonight at Wisconsin and they, they, they putter around a little bit and they're not going to get any fans this year. It just won't happen. You know, maybe, you know, cause even like their Saturday game coming up is what um, Penn state in a couple weeks. And that's, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That doesn't get people energized. No. You know, not this Penn state team, maybe football. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you always hear, or I've heard
1: this reasoning, from people in the athletic department before you don't want to cheapen the product Mm -hmm. by giving away free seats or reduce price for tickets, things like that. You have to take the loss now because I think this has gone on long enough, Scott, where I think you've almost lost a generation of fans. You failed to continue to bring people in as they're growing into, you know, adults to where they're going to come out. And we talked about this season with the the soft non-conference schedule, not exciting people to, you know, to come in there and experience it. There are a lot. I mean, I think the university thinks, well, you know, everybody that we can reach has already knows what the experience is like. That's a bad way to look at things. And maybe I'm assuming that. But I think there is at least some of that. And I think you need to say, listen, we're going to go two for one on tickets, whatever we need to do, free parking. Uh, concession mm-hmm. voucher. Whatever you have to do, you need to start getting people back in the arena. Experience. Get them in there to get it full or close to full, and have them experience that, and then they'll want to come back. Mm-hmm. You can't just assume that people are going to show up to think of, to see what it's like. Give them a yeah. reason to come in. Make it very convenient for them. And there's and you said there's nothing you can do about eight o'clock starts. You know that's all controlled by the television. You have to do things. Halftime shows, whatever mm-hmm. you need to do, all those things. <clears throat> there was a time, <clears throat> excuse me, where they did like papa shots up in the concourse. I don't even see those anymore for the kids. Do some things yeah. to get people engaged and wanting to come in and building, building up a, a base of people that will continue to bring people word of mouth hey we went to the Iowa basketball game it was great it was two for one tickets we got free parking whatever it is give the students free tickets give them pizza Mm -hmm. whatever you have to do don't do it once in a while continue to do it until you build it that base back up
0: yeah I understand and I, I I can sympathize with the whole uh thought process of don't cheapen your product and um you know, football it has become the true and only breadwinner of that department right now because basketball has been stagnant since all three years, frankly, financially. Um, and, and this was,
1: depressing. and, you know, the, we started hearing about the, the concerns with attendance. That was one of the reasons why Dr. Tom was shown the door, Scott, was because they were like, we can't keep losing attendance. That was 25 years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, and they've got to figure that out. And and it's something that they can't just ignore or sweeten up or uh, let, let's just show this one little thing. I mean, they've got to they've got to think big picture here. And and I think you're you. What's one thing that Iowa fans that that we make fun of that is entirely true? If you're there, it's the fear of not getting out of the freaking parking lot. <laughs> And that's why with four minutes to go, it could be a tie freaking game at the under at the under four that you'll see 4,000 people circle around the top because they want to get their asses out the door to their cars and make sure they're on the road and they're not stuck in traffic for half an hour trying to get out. That is a disadvantage for Iowa. That's something that they have to understand. So how do you rectify that? Well, you could build a new arena, and have, you know, 25,000 parking spots. That's not going to happen. But what could happen is, you work this, and this is probably something just kind of came up to me, but I think it's something that they need to really think about is when you're talking about baseball and the thought of building a brand new stadium for baseball, and there has been the West Campus Project discussion for all those years, that maybe it's time to say, you know what, we're going to focus on this and we're going to turn Dwayne Banks Field into a parking lot. And that would alleviate some of those issues. It would be alleviated for football. It would alleviate it for basketball, wrestling. Um, and that that's probably something that I think they need to consider. Because if, if all these fans are trying to get to the top of the steps, at four minutes to go, um, and they're still there, they want to watch the outcome of the game, but they're more concerned about, getting up the freaking steps because they're you know, it takes a while Two, getting out of the parking lot and three getting on their way home because, you know, we have a robust community who works. Um, I think that's, that's something that they've got to take into account. And it may not be flat in arena and put up a brand new one, but it may be, how do we get them? So parking is not as big of a concern as it has been all these years
1: yeah and uh i think that would that would uh please the baseball folks who would like to uh have a better facility cuz you look around i i don't think iowa has the worst facility in the base big 10 baseball wise but it's not near the top it's yeah. probably probably below the middle um yeah. if you look around so that is something that could be addressed um if, you know if they get the finances there and i think maybe you maybe it you know Costs you know more up front, but you make up for that in the back end by getting more people in the basketball arena, make it easier for parking for everybody. Uh, We saw that kind of when the bubble went down. Uh, Mm -hmm. That additional parking has helped, Uh, it's allowed more people to uh, bring their RVs in there, things like that. I think you kind of have to think of it that way. Um, but it feels like it's
0: a yeah, I think it's a three way, three way win um yep. in some ways because with baseball as you said it it, it gives them a, a home that they can be proud of and you can build luxury suites for them and you can earn, win some money back um you can because if you can have luxury suites maybe clubhouses you can spill that over into a lot of different things and um but uh so you might be able to help pay for that too if you have parking there for football then you're going to generate a lot of revenue and basketball too. And and so you've got kind of that win-win. And then just for the fans, the casual ones who maybe will go to a couple of games a year, maybe it keeps them in their, their butts in the seats. And that helps that atmosphere to help win. And one more win could get you a better seed, which ultimately could get you a better opportunity to win a, win two March games, which is really what's been holding this program back for so many years is They haven't been able to get to the sweet 16 since the 1990s. And they've got to, they've got to figure that out in the worst way. And again, it it may be me. I completely
1: agree with you. And maybe it's me just being unfair to the the marketing people and, and the athletic department over there. But I just feel like, you know, having, having had this conversation pretty much every year or most years for, you know for my entirety of being around Iowa athletics, um, I feel like the – and I've heard it said before, we just need to win more games, and then the people will come out. Mm -hmm. you got to do more than that now. You have to do Mm -hmm. more than that. TVs are really nice now Mm -hmm. at home. Every game pretty much is on TV. The games that weren't on TV in the the non-con were games that were ridiculous anyway that people didn't care if they missed against, you know – Mount Mercy or whoever they were playing, so, <laughs> right, you know, right? Right. Um, and I've heard that now a lot more in the last maybe five to ten years, where people are like, "Hey, my TV's great. You better do something to get those people involved. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the the two for one or the free tickets or the free parking and the, all the things that I mentioned earlier, you need to be very proactive here and can't wait until you have like a, you know." a top, and last year was a top five team. Mm -hmm. So that should show you right there that winning is not enough.
0: Right. And unfairly for them that they weren't able to to capitalize financially off that, uh, that team. And, but now they've got a pretty good team. They've got a team that's, um, you know, got some marketable players. You know, they're fun. They're up tempo. They, they do a lot of different things. I mean, I think there's, there's some fun there that we just need to, um, But, you know, then again, all these issues are perpetual. They're all things that we've discussed for a long, long time. And uh, so anyway, it's to me, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, being able to capitalize on what you have to. to. And and I think in some ways, you know, part. Let's look at the difference between Iowa and Iowa State. Same type of people. Same type of passion for both programs. Why is it that Hilton is a madhouse, that people are there, they fill it up all the time, no matter who they play, men's and women's, and Iowa has got kind of a stale atmosphere. Some of it is the arena itself. Let well, I me mean, yeah. just be honest. But I also think that around Jack Trice and Hilton, there is enough parking where fans don't yeah. feel like, I got to go all the way out there. I got to walk this hill to go do that. Now, some of that's unavoidable because of the, just the terrain. But if you can make it so there is more parking available, which also, you know, the byproduct is that helps the the the, the, the hospitals, because um, you might have more parking during the day for people who go and stuff like that. I mean, hell, even for us, because half the time we drive in there to go to a press conference, Um all the meters are taken up and we have nowhere to go and we have to go and, you know, into the dental lot down the street. Um, maybe that, you know, opens that up a little bit too. And they make more money off of us. So I just think, uh, it's, we've got a, um, uh, they've, they've got a problem and it's, it's not going to be, it's not an easy solution, but it, there's a solution. And they just have to imagine it as don't look at it as, What do we do now? It's what do we do in 2030? You can't have this again because the sport is slipping. That college basketball is slipping as it is, and if you you've got to make sure you maximize your opportunities now because in 2030, college basketball could be way down the list on a lot of people's interests. Maybe too late by then. I think, I think it's a late, I think it's
1: late getting into the game now as you you know, I think it's an excellent comparison with Hilton and what is that, you know, that arena? No, it's Hilton magic. People know that reputation. They want to be there. They, you know, they've continued to build, uh, the fan base, you know, so the young, you know, when kids grow up, And they're adults, they take their kids there. And that's what Iowa has failed to do. And there is no Carver Magic. There is no reputation that going there is the thing to do. Whereas in Ames, going to Hilton is the thing to do. And Mm -hmm. Iowa has now, it's not like this has been a five or 10 year thing. This is a quarter of a century, at least, of failing to figure it out. And if you don't, like you said, Scott, if they don't figure it out in the next eight to 10 years, they may be, be playing over at uh, Extreme Arena.
0: Yeah, might as well because that's what'll be filled, and that, and again, it's just it's kind of this perpetual either not necessarily kick the can down the road. They've done a lot of different facility improvements, especially at Kinnick Stadium, which is the goose that lays the golden egg, and uh, you know they've had you know the practice facilities which. Damn, are ten years old now. (laughs) That's crazy to think because it was such a bear to try to get them to go. But uh, I I think in some ways it's uh, you've got these different things, and um, but they've got to figure it out. And and I think it's a it's a step you know step by step process, and it could be very easily this year. You know the two for ones or things like that. Um, You know maybe it's a free fan day. um, You know for for students. Maybe you don't do it all the way. I don't know. I mean, but they've got to do something because otherwise uh, it's stale. And, and I, think, I think Fran deserves his fair share of blame because they had an opportunity to recapture some fans who tuned out during the, the pandemic who weren't able to make it but who were energized by it. And when you started to see that schedule at the same time, concurrently with a football team that was highly ranked all year, then you're looking at uh, oh, well. Eh, oh, well. They're not very good. They're not playing anybody any good anyway. And they, they lost a lot of guys and they let that narrative kind of seep in. And, and, uh, then when they got bounced pretty hard by Iowa State on the road, um, there was no other game, you know, because playing Utah State and Sioux Falls, great, but that's in Sioux Falls. Why, why not Carver Hawkeye Arena playing a, a decent team? And I saw this, uh, brought up and I think this might be right on is, maybe one of these early games, a Maryland game or whatever, when the students aren't there, maybe play a big 10 game in Des Moines, you know, maybe play it at Wells Fargo, you know, because then you can kind of, you know, you know, engage with those central Iowa fans. And, and that might be something to consider as well. Yeah.
1: And I think, I know it wasn't at Carver, but completely dissolving the big four, you know, in its initial setup, which was, you know, home and away, which I think right. would be great for mm-hmm. the, the car, you know, the attendance in Carver and building up that er- early season excitement for your team. I think you lose that. Um, and I, the non conference schedule this year, even with, and, and I think, again, I think it, it, this was just another log on the fire that has already been, you know, flaming for decades now it just at every turn it just seems like things aren't being done to make the situation better and it just Mm -hmm. keeps the fire just keeps getting higher and hotter and bigger and bigger and eventually you're not going to be able to put it out so I don't know I mean it's up to them to try to figure this out I don't think it's going to be easy but I also don't think it's rocket science either
0: sure and yeah, the one thing we really haven't discussed is the, the overall disappointment with the program in key March moments. Yeah. Um, when you look at last year being a number two seat, yes, it was a bad matchup with Chris Duarte from, from Oregon and their backcourt. So those matchups happen. However, if one of these last six, seven, eight years that Iowa was in the postseason, had they broken through, gotten to the sweet 16, did something while they got there, you know, then you can kind of, you can tolerate the, um, the inability to reach your expectations or, but when you're constantly doing it, then that makes it tough because you just, you know, you're, you're, it's a fragile fan base when you do that. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but when you have a team like the one that where you had Utah and Gassell and Woodbury, and then they were ranked, uh, as high as number three, and then you fall to a number seven seed and, then they get bounced in the second round. And, uh, and same thing, you know, last year there were two seed and they fall out. Everybody, every time there's a loss in February, everybody's like, Oh, the, the Franuary fade and all that kind of stuff. And, and so all of those are factors, all of those end up in the Iowa basketball psyche and they've got to figure out a way to untangle it. I mean, the performance on the floor, that's entirely on the coach and and, and, and I think the schedule is entirely on the coach because you don't see Gary to put his foot down the way Bob Holesby did with, with Tom Davis. Yeah. You know, he was like emphatic. You've got to play better teams. They're not. And that's why they're not getting the tournament. Um, or didn't for a year or so. Um, when you look at um, Fran, free reign, and you brought in wins. And when you're playing good teams, in a lot of cases they're on neutral sites. Well, how does that help the fans here? The ones who, the donors, the ones who pay the salaries, the ones who come to all these games, and they're not going to see Gonzaga. They're not going to see even Utah State or Cincinnati and Chicago. I mean, instead, you're not even going to see Drake or you so and I. So I think that they, they need to come to a business decision. You know, how do they make this better? And I think it, everybody has to put something in the middle of the table and that includes Fran and his non-conference scheduling. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to schedule what I want and then, and then get mad when people aren't going to come and watch him play my alma mater or, or um, Alabama, whatever state, A&M, whatever. It just doesn't work that way.
1: Oh, and uh, I saw Iowa State and uh, Texas Tech last night a battle of top 25 teams over at Hilton. Um, One of the first comments out of TJ Otzelberger's mouth last night in the post game was thanking the fans because that home crowd made a difference in pulling out a win. So it is, it does impact the bottom line, which is wins and losses to have a really good home environment. We've seen it for years. Michigan state's had really great players, but that place is a tough place to play. Illinois is a tough place to play. Indiana is, I mean, there are a lot of really good Maryland. There are really good environments. I would put Carver, in its current current state, not, and you said it when Carver's full and people are engaged, it's, just, it's really good. It's, yeah. it's, it's a tough environment. It just doesn't happen often enough.
0: It's right. You see it too often with, with ebbs and flows. And that that's kind of the game management that sometimes needs to be discussed. And, um, you know, that's, that could be everything from bumper music to, um, too many in-game promotions, you know, those things happen, you know, they happen everywhere, but at Kinnick, it seems to be more pronounced. That could just be the fan piece itself. But when it is rocking and it's people are engaged and they, then it's, it's right up there. It's right up there with the, with the best. I've seen it, all the other ones and Maryland's great, Michigan state, Purdue, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin and Iowa, real similar. Um, That way um, both have engaged bases and both of them have crowds that sometimes shrug. (laughs) Um, I think it's the, the nature of where we live, but um, you know, so overall they've got to figure this out because it could be the difference, you know, a loud arena versus a quiet arena is sometimes the difference between a win and a loss. And as we know in basketball, you know, going the difference between going twelve and eight and eleven and nine in the Big Ten is difference between getting in for sure versus not or close to it to getting a higher seed, a better matchup, a potential win in the NCAA tournament, possibly two. You know, all those things kind of, uh, you know, just from the way the crowd reacts, I think is is part of it. I want to hope.
1: I have hope that we'll be able to change this conversation at some point because I feel like we've had, when I say we, I mean, collectively, the media, fans, everybody uh, have had this conversation annually most years. Um, there were, there are a few exceptions. The, the you know, Bruner Horner final year, the that arena was great throughout that whole season um, yeah. engaged. It was really good that year. Um,
0: and they went 17 and 0 at home.
1: Yeah. But um, and winning helps. I'm not going to deny that. But mm-hmm. when you're at this point now, you need to do other things. Um, and hopefully we don't, you know, hopefully at some point, Scott, we're talking about how they figured it out or made it better mm-hmm. instead of them needing to do so. So yeah. we'll see if that's the case from a, from a positive standpoint. Um, that was a good win the other night on Monday um, against Maryland. It looked a little dicey there at halftime. Uh, Friend was not happy with the second unit that came in and, pretty much relinquished the 12-point lead that the starters had built and Fran put the starters back in. This is really uh, – it's a fun team to watch. And if people do need a reason to go out and watch this team, I think you'll be entertained. Um, and I'm not telling you to do what to do with your money. I know people say, don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me yeah. <laughs> But you're going to get a chance to see – and I, I, I'm, this story is amazing. Keegan Murray's story is just amazing where he's come from to what he is right now. He's one of the better players this program has ever seen. And you're, you, you get a chance to see him. You can tell, tell your kids, tell your grandchildren, Hey, I saw Keegan Murray play in Carver Hawkeye arena. He's that type of player. He's like, it's pretty much the continuation of Luca Garza. You're yeah. There's another opportunity to see one of the best players in program history.
0: It, it isn't really a fascinating story from where he came to where he is today because you know growing up uh, you know Kenyon's always been a face in this community um, you know after playing in the 90s here and one of the great defenders I think in Iowa history and a very good player across the board but he's lived in Cedar Rapids you know has uh, four kids and including the twins uh Chris and Keegan and uh they you know when they were at that prairie they really weren't getting many snips. i think uh, western illinois might have been one of their main uh scholarships so they went down to florida and decided to play there and then all of a sudden um fran offers them and, and fans get pissed like oh you know we're just settling here and the way that they both play but specifically keegan is nothing short of fantastic i mean you know, you look at some of the players that have come through Iowa in the last eight to ten years, it's been remarkable. And Keegan is putting himself on that category as maybe not quite Luka Garza yet, but, man, he's putting a move on that. And, and he might be the second-best player Iowa's had over Fran McCaffrey's tenure, and that's saying a lot. I mean, 35 points in a Big Ten game, that's nothing to snip at. I mean, he's had, you know, just amazing amounts of – uh of uh, you know point outputs, but also just overall play. I, I mean, I'm really fascinated to see how he does going forward. He didn't have a very good game against Iowa State; he barely walk, Yet he still wanted to play, and that was really more up to his teammates and not making that one happen because they knew how he how rough he was. He knew what kind of um, you know bees would surround his honey, and uh, and yet <laughs> you know everybody else was missing shots other than Jordan Bohan night. So uh, that's his only down game. He's uh, He's been terrific.
1: Yeah, and I think I was glad Fran made a point the other night that he is a two-way player. He had three blocks the other night. He's the rim protector. Um, mm-hmm. Iowa doesn't really have that big man in the middle. You know, Rabracha, I think, is a pretty good defender, um, but we've seen him kind of get overmatched against some of the better big men that Iowa's faced this year. Uh, Keegan is kind of the rim protector at the back of uh, the back of that defense often. And uh, he is a two way player and uh, starting to hear, you know, we came into the season <laughs> hearing, you know, speculation that he would be a first round pick next year. Now we're starting to hear lottery pick top 10. And I don't think that's out to lunch. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's doable. Uh,
0: if he could, if he keeps this up. No question. Is he going to do it all? I mean, you know, the last, uh, what, first rounder was Ricky Davis yes. for Iowa. So um, to put him in a first-round situation, a, a lottery pick, um, that's phenomenal. And I think if you have him with – if you put him at a, at a three-slash-four you know, three position in the NBA, he could be really good. I mean, if you have a – I'm just throwing names out here. But if you have a, a Westbrook type at, at point guard, you know, point scorer, and then you have um, a rim protector, you know, then – he can do a lot of really good things and even be the number two, but be a, a huge number two in that level. So I, I don't, I don't see that as a stretch at all. I think he's, you know, and, and it says a lot about Iowa that, you know, he was able to come here and, and take steps forward. It's just, uh, you know, now they've got to convince people to go out and watch him.
1: Yeah. And maybe that will help. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think Luca, Certainly helped in recruiting. I think Keegan can help in recruiting, and that it all plays into the same, you know, the same pot of trying mm-hmm. to put the best product you can out there, which is a component of filling the arena or getting people into the arena. But it's not the only thing, as we, we've talked about now quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he and Caitlin Clark both midseason wooden top 25 uh, recognition. That's uh, that's pretty good. It's just mm-hmm. like, all right, Megan Gustafson's gone, Luke Garza's gone, you know, Kathleen Doyle's gone. Okay, next, Iowa has really exciting players. They've had now. It's mm-hmm. not just you know a one-off or you know an occasional thing. I mean, again, it just it, that's why to me, this is the time to cash in on that, to take advantage of that. This, the, you know two of the best players in the country play here in Iowa city. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and again, if, if it wasn't for media, would anybody know about it? I mean, they've got, they've got to do their fair share of marketing and, and advertising to get people to go and watch them because th- I, will, these two are- I, I
1: will say, I don't want to interrupt, but I, I'm going to lose this thought. We go to women's basketball games sometimes mm-hmm. take my kids to the games so you get on the email list. The past few games, they've been, um, they've they've sent emails out. The first three thousand fans, you know, if you if you take advantage of, them, you can get them for free. Mm-hmm. So they're they're giving away three thousand free tickets, basically, if people want to want to use them. So they're trying there. They they need to try that on the men's side as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think they're. You know, we the one thing we could say is. It, it could be an, an aberration of some extent, the Monday confluence of holiday and, yeah. and snow and all that stuff. And maybe next week when they play Indiana or, or Penn State after that, that, things will change and get a little bit different. But, um, but they can't bet on that either. You know, I think Penn State many- is a great opportunity. It's a
1: Saturday. Mm-hmm. Do something mm-hmm. to get people in there for that game. Because on the surface – Penn State, as you said earlier, that's not going to
0: move the needle for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not even like a, an Illinois or, or something yeah. like that. You know, um, you know, I, I think with Caitlin Clark, you know, just what a tremendous player she is, and with 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 uh, Paige Becker's out, that I think it gives an opportunity for her to maybe be the uh, player of the year. But you know, they've got to do some winning too. Um, they've had <laughs> they had their real pickups you know a couple of weeks ago and uh you yeah, know but they've Rebecca had, they've you know, had Rebecca a lot of Lobo. disruption
1: to the women's right. team where they've been hit not that well they had their own COVID and now they lost the the you know two games in the Big Ten already because of COVID
0: yeah um I think Rebecca Lobo when they were talking about the wooden award last night that was the first player she mentioned and talked about mm-hmm. and so I think you've got to really um you know emphasize that and I you know, it's still a long season. Still got two more months of regular season basketball before we get into the postseason and stuff. So there's some there's some room for growth, but I think what we saw Monday night should be an alarm, um, you know, to, to the to the administration that it's not going to be just easy. Put up game, you know, science says game today. Come watch that. There's going to have to be um, and pay twenty seven bucks and go buy some nachos and, you know, overpriced drinks. Um, I think they've got to do something there to make it better.
1: Yeah, no doubt. We'll see if they do. Um, and I don't think we're like being alarmist here. I mean, we have, it's not like a small sample size of this being an issue <laughs> it's yeah, right. sample size. So it's certainly fair to, uh, to wonder if, uh, action will be taken, um, wrestling back in, uh, back in action on Friday night at Carver Hawkeye arena uh, Minnesota comes to town Gable Stevenson. so obviously I think the wrestling matches have all been sold out if I have that correctly um, mm-hmm. before the season so that's obviously they know what they're doing there <laughs> and, yeah. and again you have the top team in the country in a lot of people's eyes um, that's going to help as well and that's you know that's got that. That's wrestling is in Iowa, Indiana, basketball, Texas mm-hmm. football. You kind of have that inherent advantage with wrestling in this state as well. So
0: I don't know where the yeah. I mean, it's a niche base, but it's a very passionate niche base. And um, you know they yeah they sold out all their season tickets and then two duels. This one on Friday against uh, tomorrow, I guess against uh, Minnesota and then the one against Penn state at the end of the month are completely sold out and um, every ticket. And it's unfortunate, you know, Spencer Lee now will have knee surgery and he'll be out um, because I think that's at least with the one on Friday, you, you know, the bookends of the two best wrestlers in the country, Spencer Lee and Gable Stevenson for Minnesota, was what a lot of people really wanted to see. And I'm not saying that they can't do anything. Drake Ayala might have a nice year at 125 or whatever, but I think with uh, when you look at what, um, you know, Spencer Lee was a, was a show in his own right. I mean, there were people that would pay to watch just him wrestle. So that is kind of a hit, but, you know, it's a niche base, but it's the most passionate niche base you'll ever find. And uh, it, so it kind of sells itself. As long as they compete, they win, and they dominate. Uh, I think that's another factor, too. Just winning isn't enough for a lot of Iowa fans in wrestling.
1: Yeah, um, unless you win it all. The bar is set high. Unless you win it all at the end of the season, it's there's uh, there's a void there. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, a blessing and a curse, as they say. When, yeah. when you're in that position,
0: it is for sure. It's it's you know, hey. But if you want to be a superpower, you'd you'd rather be a superpower than a than a super nobody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and the difference between Iowa and Wisconsin, Illinois, and wrestling. I mean, they've got nice wrestlers and stuff, but it's different. And when we you when you go to the national tournament, it's clearly different. It's split. the The whole stadium is uh, the arena. Half of it is Iowa. Half of it hates Iowa that's it and you kind of and they embrace it they embrace it a lot differently than you know any other team that you know even any other team on campus they love being hated and it's kind of fun to watch
1: yeah that's uh <laughs> it's, that's a different there's it's a whole different uh like uh society the wrestling people <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a different deal uh it's enjoyable uh to to view it to to consume it. So yeah, if you can get a ticket, go for it. Um if not, I think those are on TV. I would think that the the at least the Penn State mm-hmm. duel is on TV and I'm not the next of- two are, yeah. Next two, okay. So yeah, then, Minnesota and Purdue on Sunday. Okay. So yeah, um back in action there. And we'll see what uh, Iowa does at one twenty five. They've got Drake Ayala, the true freshman, uh who wrestled in uh what the heck was it, the Southern Scuffle or something? Yeah. Uh, he uh, wrestled unattached in that and I think finished third. So uh, mm-hmm. he's probably somebody they're, they're thinking about using. But uh, then you also have to juggle when Lee comes back, um, you know. Well,
0: it won't be this year. So. Yeah,
1: it won't be this year. But, uh, yeah, be interesting to see what they do at 125 because that's important for sure because yeah. I think Penn State has made up some ground. Uh, Mm -hmm. from last year, and uh, we'll have to see how that shakes out.
0: Most definitely.
1: Um, Football got good news yesterday, Scott, on Wednesday, (laughs) January the 5th. Um, I keep having – can you hear that? What? Okay. Thankfully, you can't hear that, but uh, I've got like a pop-up ad playing in my ears right now.
0: Okay, <laughs>
1: it stopped again. <laughs> I'm not hearing voices, people. It's an actual pop-up ad. But um, Raleigh Moss announces he's coming back for another, using his uh, COVID year to come back for another season. Um, had the PCL injury this year that cost him what three games? No, he played yeah, in three. nine
0: games. Right? He played in ten, 10 uh, okay. or eleven. I'm sorry, he played in eleven. He missed, okay. he missed three games. But it happened right around the bye too. So yeah, it was he was able to, you know, but it was sizable because he missed the second half against Penn State. Yeah. He missed the Purdue and Wisconsin and Illinois games, plus a bye in the middle and came back, I think it was for the Minnesota game. I remember, yeah, it was Minnesota because I was I think I was joking to him. I'm like, you know, you could go four for four with interceptions against the Gophers in four straight years. <laughs> He's like, that's the plan, but never did it happen
1: that day. Yeah. But uh, I'm I haven't I haven't talked to Riley yet. But I'm assuming uh, his decision was uh, well thought out, and he was you know had all the information he needed at his disposal in terms of where he stood in the draft, uh, what the benefits were to going and coming back, uh, and he made a decision for him, which is should be the uh, which which is the idea here. Uh, do what's best for you, what you feel is best for you. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, once in your life where you have control over things like this. So take advantage of it. And uh, obviously, a big boost to Iowa secondary. Uh, lose Matt Hankins, but uh, have Riley back. Uh, Jamari Harris, I thought, got better as the season went on and obviously has shown that he's capable of being a starter. Uh Terry Roberts hopefully will be back and healthy next year. Uh man, that must have been a severe bone bruise to to uh keep him out that long. And then uh Cooper Dijon also could drop to safety, could stay at corner. We'll kind of see what happens with him. But uh Iowa in a real good one, and Jack Kerner announced that he Mm -hmm. was not coming back. So uh there's an opening there as well. Um so there'll be some some changes in the secondary, but also a lot back to be excited about.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, really the the one hanging Chad here is uh, is Dane Belton, who yeah. is exploring his options and whether Hopefully or not he comes. So. Yeah, and he deserves it. I mean, he had five interceptions, led the Big Ten. He should get as much feedback as possible because my own view with him is he – he was a little inconsistent at times. He was also very, very good at times. I don't, I think, you know, Amani Hooker to me was a little bit more um, well-rounded when he left. Um, I think Dane could be there next year. That's my own view, but Hey, it's his body. If he gets feedback that says you're going to definitely be a draft pick, you are probably mid round guy, Uh, you know, maybe that's good enough for him. Um, I I think he could be, One of the best defenders in, in not only the Big Ten, but maybe in the country if he comes back, but hey, you know, it's his body, his opportunity. And, uh, but, but let's say that he does. Then you've got Riley Moss returning. You got Kayvon Merriweather returning. You've got Dane Belton returning. Jamari Harris, as you said, he played his best game by far against Kentucky. He was fantastic. He was all over the place hitting, uh, did it with a really rough shoulder too. He had to be re- removed late in the game because of his shoulder injury, but yet we had the interception, um, six tackles, couple breakups, um, almost, you know, had a big breakup that was really looked almost like a fumble, forced fumble at one point that would have been a big play in that game. Um, so I don't know that he loses that job. I think he's got that job locked up. And and Terry Roberts is going to find a way to get to the field. But, wow, that's that's going to be tough for him, you know, because yeah. that would have been his gig. And now he's, uh, you know, with, with Riley Moss uh, coming back, you know, maybe he's number three. Maybe he's cash. Maybe he's safety. Maybe they move Moss to cash. I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot of pieces there. Plus, as you said, you know, Cooper DeGene and and uh, Xavier Wampa. I mean, you've got some pieces maybe Sebastian Castro takes a step forward um you know there's there's a lot of really good players that they they're capable of plugging in and playing you know as long as they stay healthy that's always been an issue it seems like for the secondary that sometimes you look at them and go, man how are they going to get all these guys on the field next thing you know you're like oh my god they got to go get a redshirt or a true freshman out there <laughs> um so um but you know Riley's decision was mature it was probably the right one, even though I think he would have been probably a late draft pick. Um, that knee, getting that PCL torn, would have prevented him from showcasing the best version of himself at the combine, at, at pro day. It would have tore him down. He wants to make sure that he's um, at an elite level. And, and probably the only way to do that is to strengthen his knee, to get it back up to 100%, play a full season. And uh, you know, hey, with he's got t- ten career interceptions, he's good enough. That, and if he plays a full season next year, it's not completely off the charts that he couldn't set the school record eight for a season. Maybe that that eight would turn into a tie for the career record. So, if teams um, decide to throw at him, he may not yeah. get many opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> but Jamari Harris on the other side, then he benefits. <laughs> it could be a seven and four issue, kind of like with Hankins and, yeah. and Moss, you know, and there's no, there's no wrong answer there. That's for sure.
1: Good news there. We've got, uh, as you said, Belton hanging out there still um, Sam Laporta indicated that he's exploring his options. Tyler Linderbaum, uh kind of caught attention of, uh, of the fans yesterday. Uh, with his tweet in response to Raleigh Moss, with uh, what do they call that emoji? Is that the uh, eye bo- look, mo- yeah. look emoji? Yeah,
0: the look <laughs> emoji. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: The kids that are listening to this understand understand that the the, the older people like us may not. Old but, dudes, yeah, the old dudes may not. But it was, <laughs> I guess the the um, the takeaway from the response by Tyler was look at what Riley's doing. Might I do that? Or at least that's the kind of – it elicited that response from people. But I don't know, man. I just – especially getting dinged up in the in the Citrus Bowl, um, seeing what can happen. I mean, he's got to go, doesn't he? I know he loves Iowa. like Just as kind of like Hawkinson, he, he wants so yeah. badly to play more college football. But, God, the money and the opportunity and the career you can have – Um,
0: I just, I can't see him making that decision. That's where parents and staff have to push him in that direction. I mean, would they love to have Tyler Linderbaum back? Of course, (laughs) who wouldn't, but he's ready. He's ready. He's one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the five best centers in the world. (laughs) I think he was ready last year. He was, and you know, he could he could go out there and he could start for a team day one and be a full Bowler next year. I'm hoping the He's Jets active. get him. Yeah, they might Um The two, two picks and the yeah. top, and his value was never going to be higher because the Jets and Giants both are going to have probably top ten picks, and Jets will have both of them
1: top ten picks. Them. I think.
0: Yeah, both of them have got two this, top ten. Picks. Yeah. Because unless the Bears uh, magically win again and then the like, <laughs> Giants are like 3-12 and 12 or something like hey, that. Justin time... Fields is
1: playing this week, and Matt Nagy is coaching, so you never know. Yeah,
0: yeah, maybe they will. <laughs> I don't know. It was exciting watching him play two weeks ago. we we'll get to see how. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> end his career on a three-game winning streak. That'd be funny. Uh, but, you know, and then other teams, there are teams that have spent immense amount of resources scouting him i know pittsburgh is one for sure and they want him in the worst way which means they'll they'll be willing to trade up get it they'll have to because i can see the jets not picking him with the first first round pick maybe their second one so somewhere in that five six seven range i can see somebody knifing in and saying all right we got to get this guy he is everything we need not only as a um as a player but as a tempo setter, as the, just a kick-ass performer, um, he changes—he changes everything about our program. So I think that's something that that a team like, whether it's the Jets or the you know for Zach Wilson, the Giants, for whoever the next head coach and possibly quarterback will be, uh, for the Cleveland Browns, if you're going, man, you know we we're, we're undisciplined. We need that focus, that voice you know he's everything if you this wants. draft
1: Scott most years you're talking quarterbacks in that top 10 not this year next year you will be Bryce mm-hmm. Young comes out next year you know in that group that really good group of quarterbacks so this I just there's so many reasons for him
0: to take advantage of this mm-hmm. financially it'll be huge and he's There's just so much, you know, he's already graduated college. He's already proven himself to be one of the best players in Iowa football history. I mean, I don't even want to be hyperbolic, but it's true. I mean, you put him in that situation with Gal and under Ferentz at the offensive line, Worf's, Gallery, and Sheriff, he is their equal. No question in my mind. So go do the next level, go promote it. (laughs) you you know, we know, you know, if you're Kirk, we know you love us, you know, we love you. You're going to, your picture is going to be on the wall. You're going to be forever regarded as one of the greatest players who ever played here. Go get your bag, you know, go get your money because you would hate to see him God forbid tear an ACL, you know, in the second game of the year. And then, you know, then get kind of forgotten about, you know, maybe you're drafted at 25 instead of six and cost yourself, several million dollars yeah and it
1: is that i mean if people want to look they can look at what the signing bonuses are um for you know the eight to ten pick or 25 to 30 there's a big difference right Um, it'd all be nice for me i would take any of it but
0: um, (laughs) (laughs) well well, you know, like, let's say right now, you know, I'm looking at spot track here and the total value of the, let's say the Jets number seven overall pick, which is where they would be. Let's say he goes there. Uh, his his four-year value is $27 million with a 16 point, almost $16.9 million signing bonus. Let's say that he waits a year he get or he gets injured or something. He goes number 21, then that's $15 million total value with an 8 point, $2 million signing bonus. So you're talking, I mean, again, millions of dollars lose just by something happening. Because again, some smart team is going to say, not only are we drafting the best center in the country at that position, or is drafting somebody who's going to change the, the the mindset of our team, our offensive line, build an accountability, build a toughness, a discipline, changes everything. And accountability, it, it's and that mindset, you just can't put a price on. And it's the difference in every single aspect of your team, in the offseason, to the games, to the practices, everything. And that's what Tyler Linderbaum brings. And, if, and he's going to go through the wash, and I'm sure he's going to have, well, arms aren't that long, or blah, blah, blah. You know what? Shut up. This, this, we know what this guy can do, and he'll do it on every single down for whoever grabs.
1: And then they better take him with that
0: seventh pick. Um,
1: but you you've mentioned this before on the podcast and I alluded to it a little bit ago Hawkinson had a really tough decision Mm -hmm. to make but he was the eighth pick in the draft I don't think he's I think he under maybe in the moment he didn't understand but I think he understands now yeah
0: that was a heart versus head situation he loved being a Hawkeye and, and let's face it that's one of the – I grew up in the state. I know what it was like when I grew up in Burlington. And, hey, this weekend we're going to Iowa City, and we're getting crazy. Yeah. You know, we're having fun. And to live in there and be a Hawkeye and be one of the best of them, and you're from Sheridan, Iowa, and um, there's nothing better than, than going to school in Iowa. It's fun. It's energetic. It's just everything about it at that age. And he well, had to give know, it
1: up. You know, we didn't, we didn't play college football, but mm-hmm. – those college years are are some of the best years of your life, and you don't want to. Exactly. You don't want to leave that, and and I get it.
0: That's the, that's the thing where it was heart versus head. It was like, <laughs> man, you know, I don't, I want to come back. I want to play. I love this school. I love this. I, I love everything about this. And then, but you know, in his case, his parents were like, yeah, man, <laughs> you, you, know, what happens if you have a high ankle sprain? Yeah. And you catch twenty passes, and all of a sudden it's like. You know, I mean, think of like George Kittle's senior year with the mid with a midfoot sprain and and he was injured and trying to fight through it and stuff, then your your value just plummets and then that's not your fault. So I I think in some ways he made the right decision financially, of course, because now he's on to what next year will be year four. Same thing with uh, with Noah Fant, you know, who didn't have a real hard decision to make, but But uh, you know, you got it. The ones that I struggle with are the ones who, if you come back for another year, you can improve your draft stock and be a better player. I think Gino was that way. I thought Gino seventh round. I wouldn't have recommended that. Not just because of the seventh round thing, but I thought that he had one more step to go and maybe be a first team All Big Ten, maybe All American. Maybe be a fifth round guy. Um,
1: I think uh, he. I think he and Riley Moss are comparable, and it'll be yeah. interesting to see Riley Moss coming back, how much
0: he can improve his stock. Right. And Riley's accolades are way beyond what Gino yeah.
1: had. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: You know, all American and Big Ten Defender of the Year. Um, the the two that are hanging out there that I think are, you know, I I just I, I would be shocked if I don't get shocked very often. But I would be shocked if anybody came back. But I think if Sam Laporta is the most fascinating and the, the one that I think is the most uh, anxious for Iowa, because this is not a good year for tight ends at that level, I think he's proven that he can play at that level. But if he comes back for one more year, he might put himself in a high situation. I think he's probably a third or fourth rounder now, uh, but if he comes back for one more year, he's one of the three best tight ends in the, in the country with Michael Meyer and Brock Bowers. And I think he's got a, a chance to be a first, second or third team all American big Ten to tight end of the year, become a little bit better in a lot, in a few situations and maybe be a first or second rounder, or, you know, at worst third rounder. So that, but I think that's also the one that I really needs to come back to. So um, some, those are some fascinating ones. I think Belton's, um In that same category um I think you just say lebaum thanks for your thanks for your service and uh Laporto man we really need you and belton it's best for you if you come back, but we understand if you don't How about jack Campbell He's to stay for sure yeah and i 've heard that too that he wasn't there. he wasn 't going to leave um he with one more year, he might be a first rounder, but he needs he he had some really high great moments, and then he had some moments where, with another year of coaching, I mean that was really his only his first full year playing, and I think he needs one more year. I think Justin Jacobs, um, same thing. Uh, I think next year he might be uh, a high round draft pick. I think all three linebackers can be drafted, you know, and uh, but I would recommend Campbell staying, no question.
1: Yeah, Iowa's linebackers next year, man. Mm-hmm. I uh I wrote something earlier this week about that, you know, things I'm looking forward to next year. And for me, Kirksey, Morris, Hitchens, 2013 is the best group I saw across the board for mm-hmm. Iowa in my years of covering um during the Ference era. I think this group finally is in my mind of saying they could exceed that next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Right you are. Um Kirksey was the most I I think he was the most underrated, maybe great player I ever had, because he didn't get the accolades. I think a lot of shifted uh, to Morris. Yeah, it was he and, they
1: were there at a tough time too. It wasn't yeah. the best time for the program. That was that transitional time.
0: Yeah. In the middle of the five year hiccup. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and Hitchens Hitchens improved a lot. Like his junior year, I want to say he led the Big Ten in tackles, but they weren't exactly like tackles for one-yard stops. They were like tackles for five-yard gains. Yeah. And and the defensive line wasn't very good, which ended that too. And he really took a step forward. And and both Hitchens and Kirksey are you know still playing in the NFL. Um, I think I think Jacobs and probably Campbell are the best athletes out of that group. Um, and I think, uh, when you look at, um, Seth Benson, I, I don't, I, I, I can see a lot of comparisons with Hitchens. I, I think he's got a lot of those same qualities. And, and so, I mean, if they play up to their capabilities, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If you see, um, Campbell and Jacobs in the 2023 draft in the top 100 and Seth Benson somewhere in the fifth, sixth round range and all three making a club. So, yeah, I, um, I think they got a chance. And what excites me about this defense is not only do we talk about the secondary, which does lose pieces, but um, pieces I think they can work with. But the defensive line really, really looks good now. Um, they got a big piece to fill. Zach Van was was fantastic most of the year. But um, the way that Lucas Van Ness you know, grew and um, – Dante Noah Craig, Shannon. Yeah. Craig um, and
1: uh, I thought played good. I thought Black got better as the season. I yeah. thought they all really got better as the season went on.
0: And then you look at two injured guys that I think that people like a lot. Logan Jones. Logan Lee was fantastic. This I year. think, he, yeah, he got, he,
1: yeah, he really got better as the season went on.
0: And, um, and you look at Logan Jones, who was going to be, you know, not a starter, certainly a high-volume guy, and, and he got hurt, and they just kind of withheld him for the most part. And then uh, Ethan Herkett, who they love. They love his tenacity and toughness from the edge. And, and you're looking at seven, eight guys. That they can Evans, throw out there. I think Joe Evans is poised for his best year next year. Yeah. And, um, you know, John Wagner, tough, steady guy. I think Noah Shannon was really good. Yep. He was better than I expected. So uh, by and large, you, you know, when those younger guys will be sophomores next year, that could be as good of a, you know, deep as a good, you know, not only good, but deep line, other than maybe in 2018 where, where they had, you know, Anthony Nelson and Matt Nelson and Epineza and Parker Hesse and guys like that. I mean, that could be as good or all guys as you, in the NFL. Yeah. Even though Matt yeah. Nelson's
1: on the offensive side of the ball now.
0: And and Parker Hesse.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Parker Hesse <laughs> on the <laughs> offensive yeah. side. Yeah. he had a block but Epenesa the other day. <laughs> and you could have Aaron Graves in that mix, too. He's down yeah. in uh, San Antonio right now along right. with Xavier Wankpa. Um, but if you have a kick-ass defensive line with that group of linebackers and an always steady secondary, scary, scary on this defense. And maybe I'm interested to see Wongpa is going to enroll here in January. Yeah. What what he does and how he impacts that secondary because obviously free safety is open, um, mm-hmm. and depending on what Belton does, uh, could be another spot there as well. Um, I got to think he sees the field next year, though.
0: I think so. If if I were just looking, let's say Belton returns. I think the the spot for him is get him working, you know, because both Belton and Merriweather will be seniors. Terry Roberts will be a senior. Maybe Terry Roberts has to play free safety, you know, and or something like that. And Kayvon,
1: and Kayvon played free safety before yeah. losing the spot to Kerner, then
0: moving right. to strong safety. So he's capable of sliding over. Exactly. And they play a lot of cover two anyway, yeah. which isn't really – Um, a problem where in quarters coverage, the same thing. It's only when it's covered three that changes, but, um, you know, one of the the corners can move over. Um, it could be Moss. It could be Roberts. Maybe Sebastian Castro takes off, you know? So they've got a lot of options, but I do agree with you that I would, if nothing else, I'd like to see Wonka play. Um, it would be great. I think he could be an elite cash defender to me. I think he could be the prototype. Because I, when I talked to Phil, I had a, like an hour long podcast with Phil Parker during the summer. I I started talking about a money Hooker, and he and he's like, you know, if we had cash, that's exactly where Desmond King would have played. I'm like, that's your prototype, yep. and maybe Wampa because of his physicality and long line of scrimmage and his athletic ability to cover the slot. He could be <laughs> he could be really good from day one, and if Belton leaves maybe that's where he goes or maybe that's where Moss goes and he goes to, to one of the safety spots right away because he's going to be in there in the spring, so he's going to have spring football to show if he's ready to take that step or not.
1: Yeah, and we'll have to see if there's any attrition at that spot too. That seems to be one of those spots where yeah. we see it just because there's so much talent and so few spots. Um, you know, you got you know, guys like A.J. Lawson and Brandon DeFernand Is it D. Fernandez? D.S. Fernandez. D.S. Fernandez, um, Reggie Bracey. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of guys there that are getting into their, what, will be third seasons? Yeah. Um, And that's kind of that area where they start to say, do I see a path to playing time? As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. oftentimes there are injuries and you get an opportunity that maybe you can't see now, but it's also in this day and age of the
0: transfer portal sometimes
1: tough to sell that.
0: Right. Yeah, that's true. And with those guys in particular, and then you could throw Castro in there too. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you see that path to the playing field when you have, you know, it's, it's kind of like the old days of going to Disney. You have the regular line and you have the fast pass, and, and Wampa's on the fast pass. You know he's going to play right away. And then they've got three other really talented um, newcomers coming in. And then you have a guy like Quinn Schulte in a walk-on that's – Hey, he's, he's now the backup. Maybe he starts. Um, yep. That There's there's a lot of uh, pieces there. And, and so if, if you're only speculating, but if you're A.J. Lawson or if you're Reggie Bracey, you see yourself getting an opportunity to at minimum be on the depth chart next year. If not, anybody should consider their options. And, uh, and it might be wise for them to go through the spring just to see. But I understand if they don't, if they want to make that jump now, because um, then you can get be a part of spring football somewhere else. So it, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that that's going to be interesting. I think wide receiver is just as fascinating for a lot of reasons because they've already lost a lot of depth there. And um, I think they probably, and Charlie Jones' decision is going to be really important, whether yeah, he stays or goes. Good point. I we forgot to mention
1: him earlier, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely a biggie
0: because uh i you know keegan johnson had a abdominal issue abdominal issue um on the night before the game whether it was uh they th- they thought a pen, uh, an appendix issue or something like that i don't know i had my appendix no.
1: out last year that was painful
0: yeah so he uh he didn't play that was that i think that hurt him in that game um he and arlen bruce to me are the the most solid players that they have in that group. Um, If Charlie Jones returns, then I got a good trio. And I think Brody Brecht is going to be a major part of that. Um, Nico Regani should be as well. Um, But, you know, what does Deontay Bynes do? Um, You know, they've only got one signee right now, but they might might need another. They might need either a freshman or – or a transfer portal guy to come in and, and uh, compete because if Charlie Jones goes, let's just say Nico didn't have the best backstretch of his career and you might need some competition there at that spot. Yeah. And Jacob Bostic,
1: you know, could come in and help right away. Um, we saw it this year with two true freshmen. I'm not sure yeah. he's at that level of those two. Okay. Um, I got to see more of those two, I think, though, than I did of Jacob. Um, and he was kind of – he had the COVID issues and playing in mm-hmm. Illinois. It was kind of a – you know, right. he, uh, it was later it, – it messed with his development, I should say. But you never know. He could come in and compete. And I was done well with, uh, you know, a guy like Jackson Ritter, a guy who's kind of a, a low – you know, a former walk-on or somebody who thinks going to be a gray shirt that ends up, you know, like Vandenberg came in and, you know – um, was able to, you know, be a contributor mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, Nick Easley. I mean, there, there are right. ways to get that position. I, I think that the having Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce as your kind of big play playmakers, I think there's ways to fill in around those two. Mm-hmm. I just, I wonder how easy it would be to convince somebody in the transfer portal to come here and play play wide receiver after watching the offense this year. I just think from a, you know, from a logic standpoint, how attractive is Iowa for a receiver?
0: That's a great point because they've got, they they need to make some changes. You know, whether that's who calls the plays, the style, the scheme, something needs to be different. Now, trees, all yeah. that stuff. It just looks so Tin man, rusted tin man in the Wizard of Oz. Sometimes you're just yeah. like, uh, it's it just too doesn't, hard,
1: just stuck yeah. in mud, just trying to get through quicksand.
0: You know, when when you have you know, Alex Padilla, I wrote about Joey Labus, um, last week. And when you talk to you know, Alex Padilla saying, Yeah, it takes a year, year and a half to really get a master of this system, I'm like. Well, why is it that C.J. Stroud can throw for 500 yards as a true freshman for Ohio State in the Rose Bowl and a guy who's been in the system a year and a half here isn't even able to get on the field, you know, and, and do anything? You're They're making it too hard. It's too 1990s NFL style. I mean, it's really time to to evaluate what you can do, what you can't do, what you need to do, and simplify it. Get, get players on the field. I mean, I know when I talked to – to some people who, uh, uh, about Labus, and a couple things, one person, I won't say who, said the kid has it, and um, another person says, yeah, he goes, he's got some Drew Tate to him, he goes off script a lot, he does some really interesting things, but I don't know how that adapts to our stuff. Well, you know what, maybe he needs somebody who could do that. Maybe you need a quarterback who will run around and Brett Favre it for a little while or Pat Mahomes it for a little while and just do something off schedule to make big plays because that's something Iowa hasn't had. Beathard was the closest to that in the last – since Drew Tate probably. And you've got to add some elements to your offense because you're not going to bring in receivers like you said. Um, You know, King and Johnson, Arlen Bruce are the exception. Um, there, people aren't going to look at this and go, Wow, I want to play there. <laughs> they're going to look at it and say, That's my only option, you know? And I hate to say that, but it's true. And, um, maybe they, maybe they convince one of those defensive backs, uh, like I'm just throwing it out there, like an AJ loss, hey, why don't you yeah. give wide receiver a shot. Um, we don't know that there's a path to the field here for you. You're always welcome to leave, but if you want to stay and be a part of this team, maybe, you know, you take move over the other side or something. And, and that might be something worthwhile, but. I think they've got to make it. They've got to just, it's too damn rigid. They're too, they don't allow athletes to make plays with this offense very regularly. They haven't done that. You know, when they had Noah Fant and when they had Brandon Smith, two elite athletes for this level, they just didn't allow them to say, let's just throw a 50, 50 ball and let them go get the ball. And at quarterback, they haven't had a quarterback who can just do something different off, off script and schedule. And, and I think what they do at that position is going to determine what the next and probably last few years of the Ferentz era is going to be like.
1: Yeah, great points. I think it's even more important nowadays, with as much attrition and turnover as there is on rosters, that you make it easiest, as easy as possible for the players so they can find success early and be engaged instead of you know it being you know, like war and peace trying to get through mm-hmm. the playbook and figuring things out and letting them improv- improvise a little bit and having faith in your players to be able to yeah. do things and not having that much control over uh, them for on, on field where, where they can allow, them, you know, you allow them to be playmakers. And uh, yeah. I think that's really what's one of the, the key things that are that holding this offense back. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's route trees, it's blocking schemes, it's, you know, play call, it's all that stuff. I think, I think that the offense needs quite a bit of change. And I'm just, I'm interested to see what changes are made, if any.
0: Mm-hmm. I, you know, watching and re watching the game, um, I looked at the running game first. I think the running game is the most salvageable part of this offense I don't think they need to change a whole lot they actually went more gap blocking the other day than they had most of the year you saw a lot of pinning and pulling and it really worked I mean you saw you know offensive linemen love that I know they block down, down, and come right off. And you just blast the defensive tackle and defensive end. And then you're, you're seeing a reverse pivot quarterback handoff to Gavin Williams or Lee Sean Williams. I thought both of them played outstanding. Um, I thought the line played its best game of the year. No question. Uh, coming off the ball firing. I love the way they played, And I said, okay, if they can kind of manage that in a 50, 50 environment, inside, outside zones, great. Um, and if you can pin and pull quite a bit, because the front seven isn't what it used to be. When in 20 years ago, um, the front sevens for defenses were, you know, 250 pound ass kickers. And you, yes, you could have a more athletic offensive line get to their spot and drive them, and they could still do that. You just can't do it with as much regularity as you did then. But um, to me, it's it, the passing game is what it just doesn't look. It just looks too hard, too difficult, and you got to loosen it up and make things happen. They've tried to do more bootlegs. Um, that's a good thing because I think if you boot to your tight end in the flat or one kind of in a post corner situation, great, you got the guy down the field. But you know, defenders are going to figure that out, and very once in a once in a while, they're going to get your quarterback's grill without any blocking, and you're going to get killed. So you've got to figure that out because you don't have a quarterback who can do that. The quarterback, as far as personnel goes, is the most important decision they're going to make this off season. I know that they have at least looked into the portal. Doesn't mean that they're going to buy. It could be window shopping. And I, and I think could you be, also
1: have the situation there, Scott, of what we talked about earlier about receiver. Mm-hmm. If you're a quarterback, do you trust coming into this offense?
0: Yeah. You've got to put one hell of a sell out there.
1: Yep.
0: you are got to say – you This know, and if you're Iowa, you've got to say, here's our bread and butter, but we're willing to change for you. Yeah. We're willing to do something different to make this offense more effective. And you're going to be the reason why.
1: It's not going to be Caleb Williams either for the people that
0: have asked me that no. on Twitter.
1: No. No, he's going to Eastern
0: Michigan, Charlie <laughs> Batch said. No. <Yeah. laughs> that would be great that would be awesome
1: he could he could team up with uh what's his name the kid that from illinois that came here and is playing uh, us uh samson
0: Samson evans
1: Evans.
0: (laughs) backfield sorry
1: exactly but i'm entertaining myself
0: (laughs) (laughs) but you know whether it's go to florida and grab the, the quarterback jones or you know something like that that you know, their first question should be, well, why should I go to Iowa? I look at your stats. I've watched you play. You're not interested. Well, okay. It's true. We're wedded to certain areas of our game, but we're willing to expand them and do things differently with you a part of it. And quarterback run game might be one. But also, if you're Iowa, um, the situation involving your incumbents, specifically Spencer Petrus, and Alex Padilla, that needs to be a decision made this week, one way or the other. If you want him back, tell him you're going to be back, and here's going to be what you're going to be facing to do it. Otherwise, you can't allow it to be ambiguous. Um, it's just it's not fair to them. It's not fair to your team. And um, with Spencer Petras, I, I'm trying to think of if there's been a more scrutinized and maybe even disliked. Athlete in the last 10 years, the only one that comes to mind, unfortunately, and this is just unfortunate because I really like Spencer, but is uh, Adam Woodbury. You know, that's probably the most scrutinized fan uh, player that's in the Spencer Petras category. And um, I
1: think in both cases, fans have an expectation, and unless you reach that expectation, but and, and what I'm saying is that's the reason why but what's been said to those guys and about those guys is to me is sad. Yeah. I and agree. I'm not saying it's only Iowa because I think this stuff happens all over the country but um I think it's I still think that Adam Shada to this day deals with how he was treated by the Iowa fan base. And I, and I mm-hmm. think
0: Woodbury does too. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, Joshua, is,
1: is it healthy for Spencer to come back and, and play
0: again? No, here? no, for his mental I health. Hate I hate to say it, but no, because for a certain segment of the fan base, they don't like him and they never will like him. And for that segment, if you go out and you throw four touchdowns in almost every game and you leave the, the team to the division title. Do you want that fan base to even praise you after all the things they've said about you? No, you just want to throw your middle finger in the air. Maybe in his defense, maybe in his issue, it could be, you know, I want to go somewhere else because maybe he doesn't feel like he's being developed the best at Iowa. Maybe he's reached a level that, Hey, I can't be my, a professional football player. Based on the way of the coaching I'm getting here, maybe, maybe this is the best system for him. I don't know, but you know, that, that could work the other way. Maybe it's not an Iowa doesn't want him. Maybe he wants something better or different. And that's something that he should probably consider. And, you know, in Alex Padilla's case, going into last week, all week, he was not the starter. They went with a guy who had severe bruising and it was excessive bruising and the Big Ten championship game. Um, internally as well, that it was so bad that they still picked him over you and he didn't get a play in the bowl game. And so you would like to know, where do you stand? Well, if it's going to be the same thing or they're going to go in the portal and get somebody over you and maybe it's your time to, to leave and doesn't, where would I, that leave time, you know?
1: Doesn't how he was treated in December let him know where he stands?
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he were, he was the first team quarterback for most of December. And yet he got left over, you know, in the bowl prep. And uh, so I think in that situation, you just say, because it would have been easy for Iowa to go into the bowl game and say, you know what, Spencer, you've given us everything. But I just, in, you know, good conscience, I can't play you. Kind of the way uh, Mark Stoops was with Josh Pascal. Yep. Um, You know, they they could have done that. Instead, Spencer played every play. And and uh, so if you're Alex Bedia. It's, it's probably time for you to explore your options, whether that's leave or, or stay. I mean, that's up to you. And, and finally, no matter what happens, they both can stay. But I think you've got to give Joey Labus an opportunity. Equal ground. You know, okay, these guys have had their chance. They've played well at times. A lot of times they've played average or below average. Let's see what you can do with the first-team offense. And at the end of spring, you'll have an answer as to, you know, is this guy worth keeping on the first team or is he just not quite ready for it? And the answer will be somewhere in the middle, of course. But I think, uh, I think you got to give him an opportunity.
1: Carson May of January, is he, is he enrolling this month or is he summer?
0: He's summer right now. Okay, so you don't have that.
1: I mean, Kappasek's back, right, going
0: through the spring or not? <laughs> As of right now, no. Um, that was a really fascinating discussion. Yeah. And I, but I can see him saying, hey – you want to come out, just hand the ball off, you know, but they better buy him some books at least. But, you know, he's, he's a tale from the from the transfer portal where he went in it. There was no interest. He decided to stay as a student. And then when Deuce left and Spencer got hurt, he was like, we want to get a look at Joey. Hey, Connor, you want to come and hand the ball off and bowl prep and go with us to Florida? And, um. Yeah, what a great story. Though I, I'd love to see him in the spring. I think that'd be really fascinating.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to have him around just to kind of you need, talk about the difficulty of the system. He's been in it long enough now where he could probably help coach uh, yeah, right. in the spring with Labus and, you know, somebody that if they were to get somebody out of the portal, if, you know, if Petras and I get the sense that Petrus is coming back. I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, Spencer, as well as I do. Where we can say, you know, wonder if this is good for his mental health to come back.
0: Yeah.
1: He's a competitor,
0: yeah. and
1: he's he's going to come back to try to prove people wrong, people that doubt him, and that's right. just the way he's wired. Um, I think it's harder for Padilla because now yeah. um, he he played, he showed what he could do, practice games, and it wasn't good enough for these coach for the coaches, um, so he's got to say to himself, you know, what can I do to overtake Spencer Petrus? Is there something I can do to overtake Spencer Petrus? And my guess is he's going to think to himself, if, if there is a situation that's better for me, I got to explore it. I
0: think you're right on. Um, I really like Spencer. I always have. I, I think he's, he's one of the more honest, open players I've dealt with. Um, he thinks globally. And, and is also willing to, to share thoughts and ideas and um, understands the offense at a level that very few players do, um, whether that's good or bad, <laughs> considering what Iowa's offense is. But um, I think his real future is, is a coach, maybe more than a player. But I think he'll get an opportunity at the next level because he matches the physical gifts that you look for in, well, with the mental aptitude, um, whether he succeeds there as a coach completely different discussion. I, I, yeah, I can see him saying that if he's got the faith of the staff and the players, he'll come back. Um, he doesn't care what, you know, Joe fan thinks, you know, who hasn't bought a ticket in 15 years, but watched the game with his buddies and, and tweeted Rob Howe and Scott Dockerman after the game, to talk about how Spencer sucks. He doesn't care about that guy. Um, but I, I think it's a hard sell for Alex to be a to come back and be a backup, and then to know that there's a groundswell of a real heavy interest in Joey Labus and get overtaken, you know, after one more year. But then again, if you're Spencer, you can, you know, you've got potentially two more years if you want them. I mean, he's got his COVID year too, so yeah. I don't know. I, I think right now it's a fascinating time. The only thing I would say is. That you, if Spencer comes back and Alex doesn't, it's okay to name Spencer as the starter, but make sure Joey gets his due because you, this offense needs something better going forward. It's just, you cannot have what has happened this year be the norm. It's, it's too far down. It, you know, this, this is not an offense that's, that's loved by metrics, by analytics, by advanced metrics, whatever. Like people but looking at it. Yeah, people, people watching, watching it. it. Yeah. <laughs> the eye test. More like the eh test. But, <laughs> but I but think yeah, they, in
1: these situations, Scott, I think it's natural when things aren't going well to look for people to blame. Yeah. And I, I'm not into blaming people, but if you're looking for solutions, um, quarterback play has to be better. Play calling has to be better. better. The system needs to be better. You need to put yourself in a better cha- put yourself in a better s- spot to succeed, put the players in a better spot to succeed. I really hope i I hope this is put under the microscope this off season
0: i don 't know if it will be, but that's my hope anyway i yeah and i don't want them to look and that's the problem with having family as the next of line, you know, having an offensive coordinator, because the solution may be somebody different in that chair, you, you know, maybe for a fresh set of eyes and it's not going to happen. Um, or Ken O'Keefe might as well be family you know, as long as he's been with, with Kirk and stuff. That said, if they can evaluate it, evaluate the entire scheme and system for, um, for what it is, and not say, well, yeah, but yeah, but no, just how would we rebuild this to make this better? They've they've got to look internally and they've got to make sure it happens because if they don't if they don't lose any coaches if no coaches leave, then they've got to figure out how do they um, revamp it because you just can't play like this all the time anymore. It's just it's the same old junk, and um, you can have an elite level defense, which they do. You can have the best special teams outfit in the country and they do but you can't have the worst offense in the country at at this level and then think all right we're okay we'll be all right we got to play complementary football it's physical you gotta be better than that and you know to me the markers are there there are three of them for Iowa that if they hit them then the other metrics don't matter one is run for four and a half yards per carry two is complete 62 percent of your passes and three score 30 points a game if you can hit those three, don't worry about what uh, Bill Connolly's analytics tell you. That doesn't matter. If you hit those three, you're in great shape. But they are nowhere near that this year. Um, and and if they aren't, then this is going to be <laughs> a tough season. And This year they won the close games, except for the Citrus Bowl. Next year they very easily could be seven and six in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, you know. And I don't
1: want to go to that because I don't want to
0: see it. that mayonnaise. is disgusting. <laughs> it's gross. Come on, man! Um, you, want, you don't want to see Kurt covered in mayonnaise. No, I do not. Game?
1: I don't want to have to shoot photos of that. I'll get ill myself.
0: Four <laughs> um, yeah, half gallons think, or whatever. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I I think you know, I, and I know you've been asked this. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this. I've been asked this. How does how do you view this season? You know, looking back now, how will this season be remembered? Um, And I think I always say it's up to the individual, whatever your expectations were, however you saw it, you know, how much of it is glass half full, glass half empty. However you want to view it is up to you. From my perspective, really good season. Very good season. Ten wins, can never frown upon that. Won the division for the first Mm. time since 2015. I thought it was an enjoyable season the thing that I'll remember or will stick in the back of my mind is the things that you said, great defense, great special teams. I think they left some things on the table. I think this could have been an even better season. And you can say that probably most years that if things would have went away, but I think the shortcomings, the deficiencies are really easy to spot. We can see them easily. Um, and I think that plays into it as well. So that would be kind of my thought on closing the book on 2021 and looking ahead to 2022. As good as your defense, and we talked about it earlier in the podcast, the defense has a chance to even be even better next year, depending on how the place kicker goes out and you know, how that shakes yeah. out and, and Charlie Jones's decision. But you have Tory Taylor back, really good chance with LeBar Woods that the special teams are going to be really good. What can you do to have a best of the best type season next year, you know, whatever, what can you do offensively to, to reach the potential ceiling? And that to me is, is what I'll think about this offseason.
0: Yeah, you're right. What I think of the 2021 team is, and now looking back after it's complete, I look at it and I think, man, they squeezed 10 wins out of a 7-1 team. Um, This was the type of season where, You lose some close games and you go gnash your teeth and then you go to a mid-level bowl game. And instead they won 10. Instead they got as high as number two. They had some magical moments early in the year. And then they got into a quagmire and a grind and they grinded out four wins in the toughest way possible. That shows a lot of great toughness and, and courage and and everything you want to ask for a football team and I think everybody should be proud that's a fan of the this team this organization for seeing 10 wins um they were the games that they lost the first three um they lost you know they lost through their own weaknesses they lost to their own style of play whatever the the game that they had the opportunity to win was citrus bowl and unfortunately I thought that was as good of a running performances they've had all year I thought they blocked better than they had all year um but the, there was just glaring mistakes actually both sides of the ball that really prevented them I and mean, there was one time it was what like third and 26 and then they threw a ball down the middle of the field to Wondell Robinson and turned into a field goal you had a tip pass for an interception I'm not really going to count the end zone one on the last play of the half I think you're glad you just got the ball off and then um uh, the late game interception was a killer. And I think that's probably what will hang over this team a little bit. But, um, going forward, as you said, what, where are the areas that we saw this year that they need to improve on for next year? Number one is uh, offensive line. Do they have the pieces now to that? Are they good enough? Have they grown enough that if they another year of growth, they're going to go from being not good to, to good, taking two steps forward. Uh, without Linderbaum I don't know we'll see um, I think they've got some good experience there I think uh, Connor Colby I think we get a healthy Cody Ends potentially a co- uh, healthy Justin Britt I think they might be all right Mason Richmond played hard and well at times um, two and, and most importantly is quarterback do they have the right quarterback can they succeed with the current quarterback or do they need to go get and that's something that, hey, these guys are the ones studying film from practice and games. they got to figure that out. And uh, if they can do that, if their offensive line can take two steps forward and if their quarterback could be better next year, whether it's Spencer Petras, Alex Padilla, or uh, Caleb Williams. <laughs> um, they can get them away from Eastern Michigan. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, get a $1.1 $1. <laughs> $1. $1 million NIL deal with uh, uh, burritos here or something. Um, you know, then they can uh, – You know, or Joey Labus doesn't matter. They just have to get there. And if they can, they got the running backs to succeed. If they can convince Sam Laporta to stay, they got the tight ends to succeed. I think receiver probably needs at least one more piece. Who is that? I don't know. Well, go, go, go get him. That's a defensive back on your team and turn him over. Do it. If that's in the portal, do it. If that's in uh, a true freshman, go get him. You know, just go be better. Uh, but, you know, the schedule gets a little bit more challenging in crossovers. Playing Ohio at Ohio State, playing Michigan at home, at Rutgers won't be a picnic like it used to be. So I, I think you've got those issues. But I, I still think this is a good program. I, I think as long as they take the correct path forward, I think they can still be in the conversation for the division title come the last week of the season. Yeah, they, there's
1: no reason why this team shouldn't be, you know, among the favorites to win the West. Um, obviously, Wisconsin will be good again. Um, I think Minnesota's got a chance to be good again. Purdue yeah. is Purdue is Iowa's kryptonite. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the hell is going to happen with with Nebraska and Illinois should be better next year too. Yeah. So, um, I think the division's getting better.
0: Yeah, Northwestern, you never know. Is is this going to be the uh, every other year one where they go from being bad to good? They've had an amazing amount
1: of uh, roster turnover. mm -hmm. Guys coming in, guys going out. It's just, it's very, it it almost makes you wonder what's going on inside those walls.
0: Right. Brandon Joseph leading is a a big piece because he's really good. I mean, um, I I would say any program in the country would want him. you know, I we did, you know, Stuart Mandel will do our, our top 25, way too early top 25 next week. Um, and he asked for input on where you think teams should be and all that. And I'm like, okay, here's kind of the, I'll just give you the Big Ten West point of view. And I said, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota all should be somewhere between like 16 and 21. And, and I said, Purdue could be in the 25 range. And, uh, I, you know, Wisconsin plays at Iowa. That's a big deal. Minnesota brings back just about everybody. Tanner Morgan again for the 15th millionth year in a row. <laughs> and it seems like he's been playing since I worked in Missouri. But, um, <laughs> you know, so it's just, uh, you know, I, I think they're all, they should all be very close competitive games among the West. It's going to be about how do you separate it? And, uh, cause you know, Minnesota is going to have a you know, target on Iowa. And so Wisconsin, as Iowa did win the division after all last year. No doubt.
1: Um, we'll plenty more to talk about this offseason. I did want to mention before we get out of here, Hunter Norzad, who we have mentioned on this podcast before, mm-hmm. uh, transfer from Cornell, uh, all Ivy League, offensive lineman, has Iowa in his top five. Penn State's in there, I believe. Virginia Tech. Who else is it? Illinois. Iowa. And who's the fifth one that I'm missing? Um, I, can't I can't think of it now, but yeah. it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Iowa's in that top five. Obviously you see Penn state in there for a guy who's playing out East and you're like, hey, let's, yeah. and they've lost some guys on their offensive line as well. So uh, as I talked about, I think last week or the week before I had made contact with Hunter uh, last month and he said, he's going to visit Iowa, just hasn't set it up yet. So uh I I would think that he's going to start setting up his visits here throughout the month with those uh, five schools. Uh, Maybe uh, not take all of them, but he'll have time this month to to get out to officially visit everybody. And the Iowa – be a nice addition for Iowa on that offensive line, especially if Linderbaum moves on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, It's like, well, where are you going to put him? Let the coaches figure that out. Get him on the bus, Uh, and then you find the seat. Like Norm used to say. Right, right, because uh, <laughs> is he center material, or is that, you know, I mean, ideally they probably want Mike Slinsky, um, but if not, then, hey, you need somebody there. Maybe Justin Britt finds his vein there. You know, that might not be bad if he can do that. They say Cody Enns can play all five positions. I, would, I, I don't know that you would want him to be your center, I think, because he's capable or, you know, maybe better to be on either a guard or a right tackle or something like that um connor colby i think now's the time to make that move push him outside looking at david cough and um beau stevens during practice they're giants man same thing with jennings dunker they're giants and they're going to get every opportunity to move up i've heard that they're like uh uh-huh. we're, we're, we're pushing forward with these guys so uh if that means depth chart great. Right? if that means they start right i i think they're pretty committed to to making moves and if norzad is uh Another one, um, you know, they'll fit him in. You know, if he's a guard, he's a guard. If he's a tackle, great. If he's a center, probably not the most ideal thing for an Iowa team. But if he's a one-year guy, then he so be it.
1: Yeah, and you've got, you know, uh, Jack Plum and uh, mm-hmm. Nick DeYoung who have experience, and you yeah. hope that they take the next step and make this – you want right. as much competition as you can get on that front. And if – the older guys can hold off the younger guys. More the better, because that means that they've gotten better and, and mm-hmm. developed more. So, I uh, I feel good about the offensive line, Scott. Even if Tyler Linderbaum moves on, um, but they got to do it. They've got to be better next year than they were this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. That was that was a real letdown because it just wasn't a very good year um, across the board. They got better, but I think. You know, if there were a couple of pieces that they lost that, you know, at first you just kind of, it's easy to shrug, but now it's like, ooh, and that's, uh, I I would say, um, Alaric Jackson was a massive loss because he, he wasn't the best pass protector, but man, he could set the edge in the the zone, outside zone. And then Mark Kallenberger was a loss that they weren't really prepared for. And that was a killer, um, because he would have been, he would have been a stalwart at either left tackle or right tackle. And they were kind of wayward most of the year at that, those positions. I think in a perfect world for them, that Mark Kallenberger would have been a left tackle and um, Mason Richmond might have been a right tackle or Jack Plum or whoever would have made it. and Or Mason Richmond goes inside and solidifies it. Instead, they were moving parts, They you know, healthy guys one week, unhealthy the next. Cody Ants being out was a really a killer for them. Now, if they can all move forward and be healthy, I think they'll be in a shape.
1: agree, and uh, we'll see, as we've talked about throughout the podcast, what, if any changes are made on that side of the ball. We'll have a lot to talk about this offseason in terms of Iowa football. Uh, talk more Iowa basketball next week with uh, the big game tonight against Wisconsin, uh, and then get the, they get the week off, so the next time Scott and I will talk, it'll be, before the day it'll be the day of the indiana game so we'll have the wisconsin game to discuss and kind of some happenings in the big 10 which looks really wide open right now uh we can review some wrestling women's basketball as well but plenty of uh, look aheads and we'll have some recruiting i'm sure happening this month and Man. transfer portal stuff and comings and goings with football so plenty to talk about moving forward here to get you through the uh The cold winter months here if you're uh, in Iowa. So stay warm out there. And thanks for listening to the podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott.